0: I'm so glad you're with us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com, where you go to get all the bargains. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark-rageous moment, punishing children by depriving them of food because their parents didn't pay for their lunches? Wow. This really has me agitated. I'm going to fill you in on it later. And I want to talk to you later yet about the idea of standing room only. It's become such a thing now at ballparks where more and more teams will sell a certain number of SRO seats. Something that was very popular decades ago has come back. But what about other things like standing when you're on an airplane for hours. What do you think of that? We'll talk about it. So privacy has become a flashpoint, and the abuses of your information are something that really annoys people, even if normally you're like, yeah, not so worried about that. But some of the things that Facebook has done have been an embarrassment to Facebook and have been a breach of trust for so many people around the world and here in the U.S., even those who aren't on Facebook. Google, which has so much information on so many people, is reading the handwriting on the wall and is introducing product by product or service by service, whatever you call what Google is. They are launching privacy suites where you're being given control of your information that's available. And it's being set up where it's automated. That once you make a choice that you don't want them to be collecting this, that, or the other, you don't have to go back later and say, hey, stop doing that. But they're, they're legitimately doing something that on the surface, at least initially, is very much against Google's financial self-interest, which is being able to make money off of everything they know about you. But Google knows that privacy concerns could lead to enforcement actions that would be so strict and so inflexible that Google's like, hey, we're going to do this ourselves. So as Google rolls it out for different parts of what Google does, we're going to make sure that you know the procedures for you to take advantage of the new privacy settings on your computer, on your Android, on your iPhone, on your tablet. Whatever device it is, could be a home speaker, whatever it is. And Google is setting up a new automated dashboard where you can go in for your search data, location data, all of that, that you may have given Google permission in the past to have, you're now going to be able to set up, and you only have to do it one time, that you want Google to delete all that history, and it can be immediately or after so many weeks or after so many months, whatever you get to choose, you get to pick what access to information they keep and what they don't have at all. So... We are designing a uh, section for you on Clark.com. As Google rolls out each part of this initiative, you're going to know how to just one time go in to your phone or one time go on your laptop and make a change. The other thing Google's doing that you don't have to do anything about is they've launched new tools that give you much better control over cookies. And I'm not talking about chocolate chips or sugar cookies or thin mints or anything like that. I'm talking about the tracking devices that websites use to then track everything they can about you, even when you're not on their website. And it's all part of the deep data that companies develop as they build their dossiers on you. And so... Google knows this is a ticking time bomb and if you use the Chrome browser, which I think about two-thirds of people's use of a browser on a phone or a laptop is Chrome, you're going to be able with Chrome to tightly restrict what cookies are, are used, how you're tracked and if you're tracked and this is really good news and this will extend to one part of your privacy after another. And uh, there's a focus that's going to come hard on Amazon as more and more has come out recently. I'm going to share that with you in more detail soon, what Amazon has been up to spying on you that is really creepy. Tim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Tim.
1: Hi, Clark. How are you doing?
0: Great. Thank you, Tim. How can I serve you? Well, um, I had a quick question
1: about uh, an organization to help me uh, offset the price of uh, uh, my utilities. Uh, There's an organization that uh, that came across that buys and sells clean energy and offers to reduce your utility costs by running those utility bills through them. And I was trying to understand more about that process, uh, clearly figure out if it was uh, a a good alternative uh, for where we live and um, uh, just get uh, some feedback and uh, thoughts from you. All
0: right. I appreciate that you're asking about this, and I'm not going to name the organization because it's one of the most polarizing players in energy in the United States for residential energy. And what they are is they're not actually an energy supplier. They go out and they trade in energy credits. And generally, instead of saving you money, it's either the same price or it could actually cost you more for power than you pay now. The big pitch from them is that they're going to supply you with clean power that will come from wind or solar or other forms of clean energy. Uh, I guess they probably consider hydro to be one. But the thing is they're not actually a producer or supplier of any form of energy. Got it. They're just Got trading it. in what are known as renewable credits, often called RECs in the lingo of the trade. So the thing about, um, if were you looking at this as an environmentalist, or were you looking at this just from your wallet? And Just from a wallet aspect. All right, don't bother. But I will tell you this, what's really amazing, what's happening pretty quickly, is that alternative forms of energy, especially when solar and hydro have become cheaper in most of the country than any other form of energy with no subsidies from any governmental body or anything like that, because the, right. the advances with them are so good that uh, traditional power plants, most often powered by coal, are closing at a very rapid clip and it's giving us a lot cleaner air in a lot of the country. But the big thing, people don't ever want to pay, except for a tiny sliver of people, don't want to pay extra money to have, quote-unquote, cleaner energy. And they don't have to, because now the cleaner energy has become so much cheaper in so many places than any other form of energy. So this offer you've gotten i would just let it go in the circular file all right thank you sure and you're going to benefit from the cheaper energy regardless just because that's the marketplace speaking lonnie is with us on the clark howard show hello lonnie hey
1: clark how you doing
0: great thank you lonnie so you are an entrepreneur sure am (laughs) what kind of industry are you in
1: uh, coffee. We have a small coffee stand, and we roast our own beans.
0: Wow. So I would be very discouraging to you. I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. <laughs> I haven't tried ours. <laughs> <laughs> I've had coffee ice cream. That's the closest I've gotten to coffee.
1: Yeah, we do a uh, what we call a bean freeze, and it's kind of our own thing uh, down here on the peninsula. And it's uh, really popular, and it's basically coffee shaved ice and a few other ingredients
0: and just share with me and your fellow listeners what peninsula.
1: Kenai Peninsula. Oh the Kenai.
0: Oh okay, I've been I've been all around the Kenai. Been the Homer oh, yeah. I've I've been to that uh, fancy ski resort that's uh, right as you come down from Anchorage on the Kenai. I forget oh, the yeah. name of it. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh it's some <laughs> kind of Japanese kind of name. Uh, Alaska? Yeah, that's it. Is that Japanese, or is that some kind of native language?
1: I think it's probably more along the lines of a native language. Oh,
0: okay. Yep. (laughs) So tell me how I can be of service to you as you serve people your outstanding coffee.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, first off, I just want to thank you guys for everything you've done. You became a household name in our house and we have just every time we bring something up financially or whatever i always say well clark says and everybody kind of rolls their eyes
0: oh i'm sorry <laughs> i don't mean to annoy people but, in your household no you're
1: not there but they always they always see how much money we save or what it you know for, uh wards off and man it just really does a does us a wonder but uh we own uh, a small business. Like I said, we employ five, roughly five employees and they're long-term employees, most of, most of which have worked for us for over three years. And I'd like to give them something back in way of like a bonus, but it's hard to gauge, say, a bonus compared to this person only works part-time or this person works a lot more. And so I thought of something a little outside of the ordinary, I guess, or outside of the box, and thought of maybe like the daddy match, which you use um, of going, say, dollar for dollar, every month up to a hundred bucks, giving a total at the end of the year a, a um, twelve hundred dollars, right? And taking that money and donating it into a Roth IRA in there that they control, that they have, and that they run but i'm not sure how that would work if you're just giving them say a gift you know if there's a gift tax associated with that or
0: all right uh, so, i just don't want them to get taxed twice <laughs> right right and you want to make sure that you get benefit of having paid it so if you Absolutely. give them the money it's just looked at as additional compensation on the right. other hand yep. if you set up what's known as a SEP IRA which costs you, okay. like, nothing to do. And it, it's it's different. It wouldn't be like a Roth that it's um, after-tax money, but you can do a SEP, and you can do employer contributions into their SEP. And there's almost okay. no paperwork involved. In a year you can't afford to do one, you don't do one. In a year you can, you contribute on their behalf. And you could do a ratio where people that are full-time get a full share and people who are half time get a half share or whatever i mean you can set it up where it'll work for them and for you okay and so yeah, uh, you can do the set with any of the discount financial houses you can do it with um vanguard you can do it with schwab you can do it f- with fidelity and they'll walk you through the rules and do you have an accountant for your business we do, yes. So your accountant could uh, probably has other clients that do SEPs and could give okay. you the basic drill on it as just part of routine talking to your accountant. Okay. But yeah, it's great because that. I love it because the more you can do to show appreciation to your employees and at the same time, getting them in a mode where they're saving money for their future, the combination, you can't get better than that. Today's Clark-rageous moment is something that has... Just touched people. And if you haven't heard about it, I want to make sure you know because it just makes me ache to think about children being singled out for ridicule in a school environment. And I don't know what the administrators are thinking at this school in Rhode Island you're about to hear about in today's Clark Rageous Moment. Scams,
2: ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment.
0: So a school district that's a smaller one in Rhode Island, it's the Warwick Public Schools, has uh, nearly 10,000 students in their system, and they run from nursery school through 12th grade. And so a lot of times the kids get to school and they don't have enough money to pay for a lunch and they may not qualify for a free lunch under the school lunch program, but this school district is going to punish the children, not the parents who didn't give the kid enough money to get a lunch. The school system is going to give them a sandwich of shame, and the sandwich will be really obvious to other kids who did not have money to pay for their lunch and so the kids are going to be given a sandwich with bright jelly in it and sun butter. And so that other kids will know, as like a scarlet letter, they'll know which kids have a bill due to the school district for lunch. Now, I just want to know what kind of inhumane administrator thinks it's a good idea to single out a child, and humiliate a child because the parents didn't have enough money for a kid to get lunch. This is reprehensible and inexcusable behavior. I want you to know a kid who is singled out like that and potentially could be ridiculed, might be bullied, uh, might be made fun of, that kind of stuff sticks with a kid his or her whole life, and I i don't know how you feel about school lunch programs, school breakfasts, all that stuff, but if we're going to have a system in the United States like that, to then try to come up with a way to make fun of kids whose parents didn't send them with enough money is ridiculous and not the way we should be in the United States. I'm so glad to get to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show where it's all about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. So I mentioned earlier the idea of SRO, standing room only, that has become so much a part of the concert business and sports events where people can, even at sold out events, can potentially buy access to the arena or the stadium or the event, as long as they're willing to stand for a couple hours for whatever event they're going to. And this idea of standing is one that's been batted around the airline industry for several years and now seems a lot closer to happening where you would stand on an airplane flight in return for a cheaper fare. And with me to discuss this is the great David Lazarus, the consumer columnist extraordinaire of the Los Angeles Times. And David, it's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show. Thank you, Clark. So you are expecting this, and you're not too thrilled about it either, are you?
3: Oh, God, no. I think anyone who's ever set foot on an aircraft is thinking to themselves, really, it's going to be like riding the subway? And I have to say, no, it's not going to be quite that bad. In other words, you're not going to be standing there holding onto a strap and hoping that nothing bad happens. But we're getting closer. You know, what's amazing here is I looked at the FAA regulations for airline seats, and... They do have requirements that you have to have a restraining system, you know a seat belt or something you have to have sufficient uh room in place to prevent you know head injury, for example, but beyond that, not so much, for example, there is no requirement about seat widths; they can make them as tiny as they want there's no requirement about what 's known as seat pitch which is the distance from your seat to the exact same point on the seat in front of you and again they can squeeze you as tight as they want and what's really alarming here is in fact there's a lot of references in the regulations not to seats but to berths and that's the thing that opens the door to these possible horror show contraptions that could be coming down the pike, because if we're not talking about seats, and instead we're talking about the more ambiguous berths, well, that could be a whole lot of things, and when you look at some of the patents that are out there, you realize this can get really ugly.
0: Now, when I fly on military transport, we're in these kind of upright hammocks, and they swing around, and they're, they're, well... For a relatively short flight, they're okay. Yeah, but they have different requirements
3: as well for the military as opposed to commercial aviation. Let's face it, your typical soldier is in a lot better shape than your typical airline traveler and also is assuming less liability. They're able to, you know, accommodate whatever it's going to take to move the troops. But, you know, I was looking at uh, some of the things that were being shown recently at uh, an aircraft interior trade show that was being held in Hamburg, Germany. wait, wait,
0: that by itself i mean when people go to all kinds of weird trade shows mm-hmm. telling people yippee i get to go to the airline seat show <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed.
3: But, you know, to, to be clear, most of what's on display at these things is the high-end stuff, the first-class and the business-class configurations, and the industry is doing its best to try and make these more comfortable and more attractive, because obviously those are the travelers that pay the most, but at the same time, there are a handful of big companies out there that are coming out with new economy-class configurations that are designed for one thing only, and that is to squeeze more bodies into less space and that's what should really be scaring the bejeepers out of everyone
0: so i had so much fun on tv when the first version of the Skyrider came out i think three years ago and no airline bought it but the, at this show the Skyrider people were back with a new version of what i guess is called a standing seat
3: Yeah, and this is Skyrider 3.0 now. The fact that this company, they're an Italian company called Avio Interiors, the fact that they keep tweaking and adjusting and bringing it back into the trade shows says that, first of all, they're serious about getting these seats out into the industry. And second of all, they're getting enough interest from aircraft carriers or, you know, from the carriers to make it worth their while to keep investing money in this. And so that's the the biggest tip-off that this is, you know, kind of just around the corner. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, basically the sky rider, picture a bicycle seat, and then picture an upright piece of plastic with maybe a little bit of padding on it, and you sort of stand and lean against it. You strap yourself into it, and you're basically in a standing seat now. It meets the FAA requirements. In other words, you are restrained, and it is relatively safe, But make no mistake, you are standing. You are not sitting. That bicycle seat in no way looks comfortable. And then we come back to that idea of seat pitch. And, again, that's the distance between your seat and the same point on the seat in front of you. Now, for anyone who's wondering, your typical economy-class seat right now here in the United States has a seat pitch of between 29 and 32 inches. So now think about how little leg room you have, how frequently, if if somebody leans back in front of you, you end up with that chair in your face. That's the current standard. <laughs> the Skyrider has a seat pitch of 23 inches. All right, so I got a question
0: less. for you. You live in Los Angeles, and so just some California geography. If I got on a plane in Los Angeles and I fly to Las Vegas, I'm on a flight that's like uh, 40 minutes long, or I fly up... To San Francisco, I'm on a flight this an hour long, or I fly down to San Diego, it's like 25 minutes, I guess. So what would be so bad about if somebody wanted an ultra-cheap fare if they stood for an hour or less?
3: I think the answer to that is slippery slope. once you start opening the door to all of these contortion contraptions,
0: you're basically saying... (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Did you stay up late at night to think of contortion contraption? No, but I couldn't say it five times fast, I'll tell you that. (laughs) But
3: but the reality is, once you start letting these things sneak into the horizon, suddenly anything goes. And before you know it, yeah, you are standing there on a short-haul flight holding onto a strap and hoping there's no turbulence. That's why I think it's really incumbent on the FAA to finally, finally lay down some rules to the road or the airways and, and say, no, a seat is this. This is how we're going to define a seat. The width can be no less than this. The pitch can be no less than this. As long as you leave that vague, the airlines have every incentive to want to push and squeeze and prod. Before you know it, things are really messed up. And like I said before, there are patents out there that are really really grisly, such as patents for like a bunk bed sort of device where you're in a chair and then there's another chair right over you that's kind of squeezed in. There's another one out there where you've got these hexagonal seats where the entire row has people sitting facing forward, alternating with people sitting facing backwards, so you can squeeze more people together but the the result of that is you're sitting there staring into someone's face. They call that reverse? They
0: call that Reverse herringbone. (laughs) I don't know what that expression means, but the idea of people facing each other cattywampus to each other is called that. So
3: Well, it's literally a, a can of sardines. I mean, that's yeah. exactly how you pack sardines, is, is in alternating ways, so you can squeeze more sardines into the tin. That's the exact idea here, is that if you put people in alternating fashion like that, you squeeze more in, and even the patent itself acknowledges, yeah, this doesn't look really comfortable, but, you know, it works. So again, I don't know if you
0: place bets at the horse track or anything, if you go to Vegas, but I just want you to place betting odds. What would you guess are the odds that we're going to have an airline in the United States that starts offering standing seats?
3: Oh, absolutely. And and don't blame the airline. Blame us. Because the simple fact is airline passengers are guided first and foremost by price. We are not factoring in comfort. We are not factoring in safety. We're kind of assuming that there's going to be minimums of both. We are guided almost exclusively by price, and the carriers are responding to that by trying to lower prices as much as they can. But that, of course, means that you have to put more people into the cabin. You have to squeeze and push and tuck, and and that's what they're responding to to so yes there's an element of industry greed to this but also they're just giving us what we're asking for so shame on us
0: so i've seen the enemy and it is us big time yeah thank you so much david lazarus have a wonderful day thank you david lazarus the consumer columnist extraordinaire from the los angeles times and john joins us on the clark howard show hi john Clark, how you doing? Great, thanks. Are you ready to stand on an airplane across the country?
2: I am. Uh, I am a traveling salesman. I am a Southwest Airlines lover, and you can squeeze me in. Just give me a cheap pair. That's really all I. That's all I demand. Real honestly, I, I don't need the space. I just need the cheap pair and get me to where I'm going.
0: All right. So I'm flying Southwest tonight, and my boarding is A twenty two. So I'm not going nice. to get the emergency exit row aisle tonight. I think you you have a shot at it. Uh, I think once you shot. get past eighteen, you're not going to get that.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Fair. And again, I I don't. I just seek for a window seat so I can lay my head, take a little nap, and wake up and and go do business. So uh, I, for 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 someone like me, I, I I just want the cheap fare. So I guess I am the enemy, maybe that you're talking about.
0: That's funny. Well, how can I serve you today? Because some of your money's been run off with.
2: Absolutely. Um so my wife and I are, are movie connoisseurs and consumers. We we love movies and our children are older, so we joined the movie clubs the past, I don't know, year, year and a half, maybe I don't know, two years. So we started with the movie pass and enjoyed that and then they started getting wonky with what they offered. Um, and so then we jumped over to the other movie club. Can I say the name? Car- yeah, you say, you say them all. Go ahead. So very good. So then we jumped over to, I guess, a cinemaia or however you say the name of this particular company. I think
0: cinemaia is how I always said Cin- it.
2: Cinemia. So And we enjoyed them for, I don't know, three, four months, something like that, and then they started getting a little bit wonky with fees and things like this. And, again, we're, we're doing two, three movies a week, so I don't mind paying a little... Dollar here, dollar there. That's fine. But then, uh, in March, hey, the plans have changed. You got to renew. Um, so we renewed, and I thought I chose the monthly renew rate. Which but they is, bill you the
0: year in advance because they needed cash. Yeah. Well, yeah. So
2: I thought I charged to did the twelve dollar a month, but they charged me for the full year, which was like right. almost ninety dollars. Right. Uh, for the full year, and so then I guess somewhere around the middle of April. Uh, we tried to use it, start going back, and we kept getting errors. We're trying to get our movie ticket, and then finally, what a couple of weeks ago, we log into their website to shoot an email to see what's going on, and we get the letter: of, "Hey, we're out of business. Sorry, appreciate your business." And so, so do I'm they have uh, out so of ninety dollars?
0: You're out ninety, not ninety times four.
2: My, my Visa card was like 89 and some change for right. March is what they charged my Visa
0: card. All right. Well, then, have you disputed the charge with Visa for failure to deliver goods or services? I have not. That's what you need to do, and the clock's ticking. You need to do okay. so right away because you have okay. a blanket protection for 60 days, and then okay. after that, you get into a back and forth with your credit card company about prorated Is it too late and all that? And a lot's going to depend on the individual credit card company, how they behave. But you want to do um, a dispute, a merchant, you know, a a dispute over the charge immediately. And most of the credit card issuers, if you have online access to your account, you can go on and you can initiate a dispute right online immediately. And you will not be the first person they've heard from with CineMia. Very good. And so uh, you may get from your credit card company, probably the most likely thing will be a 2 twelfths charge and a 10 twelfths refund, you know, a prorated okay. refund, or you may get the full thing back. As soon as it is, since that charge was placed, I'd be very shocked if you did not get one of those two responses from your credit card issuer.
2: Very good, Clark. I'll do that, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out.
0: And please let us know what does happen after you've done the credit card dispute, because I'm hearing from so many Cinemia people. We'll do it. And look at the AMC program as a replacement. Or, the, 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 the bigger problem with
2: that is AMC, we have, what, three or four Regals within, what, 10 miles? or And then the AMC is like 25 miles. Well, so, that obviously
0: um, would mean you'd have to be an extreme movie lover to drive the 25 miles. And Regal, I've been watching Regal and the other chains to see if they'll mimic AMC with a plan like the AMC, $20 a month. And so far, hadn't happened.
4: price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Brian is with us on the Clark Howard show and Brian you're looking at doing a private placement in real estate investing. Tell me about that if you could.
3: Yeah, thanks Clark. So what I was wondering about, I've seen some of these uh, I guess maybe they I don't know if they're crowdfunding sites or what you would call them, but you know, interested in investing in real estate but don't necessarily want to, you know, buy and sell individual properties and just wondering uh, if these are good types of investments, and what types of things I should be considering if if I you know were to invest
0: in them, I don't like any of them that I've seen. You have upfront fees that tend to be one uh, to two percent for getting mm-hmm. involved, and then management fees moving forward that they control, and can okay. be as much as they want them to be or as little. And in these private placements, you have virtually no control, and your money's not liquid. So okay. if you're interested in diversifying your money, i like for you to go into a real estate fund that you can buy as, um, if I say ETF, exchange-traded fund, is that a term familiar to you?
3: It is, yeah.
0: Okay, so you can buy a real estate ETF with no commissions in or out from many sellers, and typically ongoing management fees that are a fraction of 1% per year, maybe as little as 0.15 or something. And then you're extremely diversified in real estate investing rather than with these private placements where the number of properties they own is not sufficient for really diversifying what you're invested in.
2: Okay, yeah, because I've seen some, they seem to offer good returns up front, but...
0: That's what they say. Out,
2: yeah, just trying to figure <laughs> but out what... Because the they're
0: private be, placements, those amounts they say you earn are really just, they could throw any number out there. Okay. But the biggest thing is that in addition to the better tax treatment, if you go in a REIT index fund or a REIT fund or a REIT exchange traded fund, is that you have the ability to get in or out whenever you want in addition to very favorable tax treatment and extremely low costs, and you're diversified. Okay. So any day of the week, I like the REIT alternatives better. And if you look at some of the REIT index funds, you'll see the costs of you being in them are so close to zero that you don't have to worry about it. Your money's really working for you in the diversified portfolio of real estate you're in.
3: Okay. All right. Great.